Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. To find out more, visiting lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We'll have an extended uh, conversation with Andrew. We'll also visit with uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, author of so many uh, books. His latest, I think I have it right here. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, in any event, uh, his latest that I've read is... Uh, how Everything Happened, Including Us. He's got a new one that just came out, and uh, we'll want to talk about that. Oh, here it is. What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, Including Us, is coming out. It came out on February the 23rd. We'll talk about that as well. It is February the 24th, and on this day in 1836 in San Antonio, Texas, Colonel William Travis issued a call for help on behalf of Texas troops Defending the Alamo, an old Spanish mission and fortress under attack by the Mexican army, a native of Alabama, Travis uh, proved, moved to uh, Mexico, uh, the state of Texas, in 1831. He soon became a leader of the growing movement to overthrow the Mexican government and established an independent Texan republic. When the Texas Revolution began in 1835, he became a lieutenant colonel in the Revolutionary Army and was given command of the troops in the recently captured city of San Antonio de Bexar, now, of course, San Antonio. On February the 23rd, a large Mexican force commanded by General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana arrived suddenly in San, San Antonio. Travis and his troops took shelter in the Alamo, where they soon joined by a volunteer force led by Colonel James Bowie. Remember Jim Bowie? Although Santa Ana's 5,000 troops heavily outnumbered the several hundred Texans, Travis and his men determined not to give up. On February the 24th, they answered Santa Ana's call for surrender with a bold shot from the Alamo's cannon. Furious, the Mexican general ordered his forces to launch a siege. Travis immediately recognized his disadvantage and sent out several messages uh, via courier uh, asking for reinforcements. Addressing one of the pleas to the people of Texas and all around the world, Travis signed off with the now-famous victory, victory or phrase, I should say, a victory or death. Only 32 men from the nearby town of Gonzales responded to Travis' call for help. And beginning at 5.30 a.m. on March the 6th, Mexican forces stormed the Alamo through a gap in the fort's, fort's outer wall, killing Travis, Bowie, the legendary Davy Crockett, and 190 of their men. Despite the loss of the fort, the Texan troops managed to inflict huge losses on the enemy, killing at least 600 of St. Anna's men. The defense of the Alamo became a symbol for the Texas Revolution, helping the, rebel, the rebels turn the tide in their favor at the crucial Battle of San Jacinto. On April the 21st, 910 Texan soldiers commanded by Sam Houston defeated Santa and his army of 1,250 men, spurred on by cries of, Remember the Alamo. The next day after Texas forces captured Santa Anna himself, General issued orders for all Mexican troops to pull back behind the Rio Grande River, and on May the 14th, 1836, Texas officially became an independent republic. As I understand it in their constitution, it's the only state in the nation that has in its constitution the ability to secede from the United States. Not sure about that, but uh, worth checking out, and I certainly will. Interesting story about the Alamo. Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed said on Monday that she refuses to comply with an order issued by Governor Ron DeSantis to lower American flags across the state to half-mast to honor the late conservative talk show host Rush Limbaugh. You may be aware that uh, she was uh, voted in independently of the governor's platform. She is a Democrat. DeSantis announced that he would be ordering the flag to, uh, to be lowered once Limbaugh was buried. There's not much that needs to be said. The guy was an absolute legend 
referring to him as a friend. I will notify all state officials under my direction to disregard the governor's forthcoming order to lower flags for Mr. Limbaugh, she said, stating that her department will not celebrate hate speech, bigotry, and division, which I think demonstrates pretty much her ignorance. Lowering the flag should always reflect unity, not division, and raising our standards, not lowering them. Our flags will remain flying high to celebrate the American values of diversity, inclusion, and respect for all. Nikki Freed, what a bozo. Originally from Missouri, uh, Limbaugh resided in Florida until his death on Wednesday. A former cigarette smoker, he succumbed to lung cancer at the age of 70. He's received the Presidential Medal of Freedom during his administration of former President Donald Trump during his final State of the Union address shortly after being diagnosed with lung cancer. Reality is, he was a great man. And as I mentioned yesterday, and I'll only say this, he's because the praise for Limbaugh goes on and on from many, many. I just uh, really admire the fact that he had a purpose in his life, and he lived that purpose to the final day of his life. An amazing man. NBC News was roasted for publishing an absurd botched hit piece that criticized Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' coronavirus vaccination plan for prioritizing seniors, such as Holocaust survivors and veterans, because they might be Republican voters. I'm not kidding. They really did this. The piece headline, Florida governor accuses, accused of playing politics with COVID vaccine, was first published by NBC News on Thursday, but came under fire on Saturday when the Peacock Network promoted the story on Twitter. NBC News senior writer Corky Sismanto, I probably got that wrong, but I've never seen the person, wrote the Santa's coronavirus vaccine distribution plan has been marked by chaos, and critics uh, say that he's been quick to recognize the political gold in those precious doses because the Republican governor ignored federal guidelines and prioritized getting seniors, uh, citizens, the coveted vaccine first. When uh, Holocaust survivors and Cuban survivors of the Bay of Pigs debacle revered members of two other key Florida voting blocs got their first shots, DeSantis made sure that he was there for the news conferences, she wrote. Now the governor stands uh, accused of being the COVID-19 vaccine to reward powerful political supporters and developers by setting up prop-up vaccination sites in planned communities that develop and where the GOP voters dominate. NBC News then enlisted Florida Democrat Republican Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Remember her? Yes, she's still around. And Charlotte County Democrat Party Chair Teresa Jenkins de Blast DeSantis story even criticized DeSantis for boasting that a 94-year-old Korean war, war veteran was vaccinated. NBC News also issued a correction that inaccurately stated a prominent donor to uh, Governor DeSantis had ties to a specific vaccination station. What an absurd botched hit piece, Republican strategist Matt Whitlock responded. Many readers uh, came away feeling like the mainstream media must be scared of DeSantis. Donald Trump ally running for president down the road, while others compared the negative coverage to the way New York Governor George Governor Andrew Cuomo has been treated amid a growing scandal. Well, you know, needless to say, DeSantis has come out smelling like a rose. He certainly has done a terrific job with regard to the coronavirus. None of the lockdowns, none of the nonsense that we see in other states, and yet our results are as good or better than states like California and New York. Florida Governor uh, or GOP Senator Rick Scott on Tuesday got no response from security and law enforcement officials when he asked a simple question why the National Guard is still deployed at the U.S. Capitol complex roughly six weeks after the January 6th riot with no known credible security threat. He said, is that a no from everybody? Scott asked after questioning three former uh, congressional security officials the acting chief of uh, D.C.'s Metropolitan Police Department, about the matter during the joint congressional hearing on the preparation and response to the riot. No one has any idea why we have the National Guard here, he asked after a brief silence. None of the witnesses had concrete reasons as to why the Guard continued to be deployed behind a roughly seven-foot-high razor-wire-topped fence. Again, at our, their capital Currently, 5,000 National Guard troops around the Capitol. Again, I repeat this analogy, but it just makes me laugh so much. Some of these guys are just plain gangsters of Blumenthal and 
You can just go down the wrist, Schumer and the others. Uh, and they're behind this razor, friends. Uh, to me, it's just it makes up there in San Quentin, and uh, they should be they should be incarcerated for the job they're doing. Former uh, U.S. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sun told Scott that when he was at the Capitol two days after the riot, he wasn't aware of any additional intelligence at that point. They were just concerned about possible violent extremists re, uh, regrouping and staging another attack, he said. Scott ended his question by saying he was flabbergasted. There was no public information to explain the National Guard still at the Capitol. You may want to check in with Nancy Pelosi. She may have an answer, too. So interesting. The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andy Joppa. Andrew Joppa is an author of of, uh, Josephus of Oz. It's a terrific read off-topic for today's discussion. but Andy, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Let me just start out by mentioning that uh, my views are not those necessarily held by the host of the Bob Harding Show. <laughs> well, I must say... Just to protect you, Bob, just to protect you. Well, I appreciate those thoughts so much, but I, <laughs> I so much admire your commentary, so well-informed commentary here on the show. Hey, I want to start off with something that's not getting a lot of press, but right now, uh, the judiciary... Uh, the left continues to pursue and try to destroy President Donald uh, Trump. Any thoughts? Well, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I think they're going to uh, continue this until they, they finally are able to get some some legal indictment and perhaps conviction, whether it's uh, the one of the existing rape charges, uh, sexual uh, abuse charges that are 
that are against the uh, the former president or Cy Vance having been given access to eight years of President Trump's tax records, which will, you know, be uh, explored with a fine tooth comb. Uh, totally, as far as I'm concerned, totally illegal to go in without a specific thing you're looking for and just be able to go in there and, and, and go hunting for something. And the, the Supreme Court has, uh, has allowed that to happen. I think there's, uh, there's a tremendous complicitness of the Supreme Court with some of the actions, perhaps all of the actions being taken against President Trump. And certainly they extend into the, uh, the uh, election process, the uh, rejection of the uh, willingness to take on the, uh, the Pennsylvania suit. Um, and even and that suit was, uh, was, was enjoined uh, in the rejection by, uh, by Kavanaugh and by Barrett. Uh, so we have uh, three Trump appointees. Only one seems to have any consistent loyalty not to Trump, but to the Constitution. Uh, they keep referring to the uh, the judges as those that are liberal and those that are conservative, and that is not the way you divide up the Supreme Court. They right. divide it up into the liberals and the constitutionally legal. Uh, and so we have, uh, at this point, fighting that battle for America. We have uh, we have Gorsuch, we have Alito, and certainly the great the great Clarence Thomas. Yeah. So you know that's where we are right now. I, I look for. Other legal remedies to our historical problems. Uh, John Durham, where is John Durham, Bob? I remember when Barr appointed John Durham to the special counsel position, uh, that this was going to be the way to have a persistence of the investigations beyond the end of, end of the Trump administration. And certainly I, at that time, I indicated that was just a way of placating the right to uh, somehow keep them quiet and it's working out exactly that way. Right yeah. now, Durham is immersed in only administrative problems that occurred. Uh, certainly nothing even uh, approaching anything that would be legal. So uh, that's where we are. The president is going to be under legal assault um, from Cy Vance, from the, the Congress. The Congress has had 40 House bills that allude to Donald Trump. One includes he cannot be set foot on the Capitol grounds. Another is that his name cannot be associated with a federal building and he cannot be buried at, uh, at Arlington Cemetery. This is the kind of hideous actions we're seeing from a, a group of, of ideological leftists that is, yeah. uh, there's nothing that even closely parallels this in, in, in the entirety of American history. You know, Annie, I, want, I just want to pick up on the, the whole notion that the Supreme Court is not looking at the elections. And whether you uh, wanted exoneration of President Trump or not doesn't matter to me. But quite frankly, their role is to make sure that our election process, I mean, it, it, it matches or is uh, consistent with the Constitution. And they've simply abdicated that responsibility. I don't know why, I, but uh, Clarence Thomas was so clear in his re response and his rebuttal to the majority opinion. I just hope that somehow, some way, this this uh, whole election process will be corrected before 2022. Well, I, I have serious doubts about that, Bob. If you look at H.R. 1, I think H.R. 1 exists. Uh, if it's passed in its current form, that will essentially federalize the, uh, the state elections, uh, the national elections at the state level. Uh, and I think that will just uh, put permanently in place uh, exactly the same format that we had in 2020. And I think that's that's certainly the intent of H.R. 1. Um, I think they would uh, probably think that perhaps COVID-19 would even be extended through 2022, but they can't rely on that. So H.R. 1 is their, is their backup to ensure these methodologies for, in my estimation, Bob, creating the fraudulent vote. There's no other purpose served by, for example, uh, uh, prohibiting voter ID. There's no other purpose served by that other than to create the stronger potential for illegal ballots yeah. being cast. So. Uh, this is a this is a horrific situation. There's so little pushback uh, that uh, that is the most that's the most worrisome thing to me. Certainly, the actions of the left uh, were to be anticipated, um, but again, if, uh, the pushback is just not there, Bob. Not in any any sufficient form that would have a chance of rectifying what's what's happening. Well, this is a pretty uh, dark commentary here, Andy, and uh, quite frankly, not encouraging. But I, I must say. H.R. 1, uh, let's just take a moment and explore that, if we may, because I think it's the first bill coming out of the House of Representatives. To me, it appeared to be a shot over the bow as no point, no opportunity to pass. What are your thoughts? 
I'm, I'm sorry, I missed, the, I missed your point about that. Well, it's just that the, uh, the bill itself probably has no chance of passing, quite frankly, and uh, it was simply, I think, uh, an effort to, to put forth the agenda of the House of Representatives going into 2021. What are your thoughts? I, I think in its total form, you're absolutely correct. But it, there, there's so much in that bill that I think once it's pared down, it will still leave the most insidious parts of it in place. And I, I think the most insidious parts are what I alluded to is the uh, the election process. Uh, just getting back to a comment you, uh, you made and talking about the Supreme Court, uh, it is so unambiguous as to the state legislature control of their own uh, internal state election design that for the Supreme Court to turn their back on this, an obvious violation of the federal constitution right. uh, is, and you use the words, Bob, it's just inexplicable. It cannot be defined by any any rational means. And I think to the largest extent, uh, Thomas, although uh, Clarence Thomas, although uh, falling somewhat short of that kind of statement, certainly excoriated the, uh, the majority members and, and their vote on this particular issue, Bob. No question. Andy Joppa again. Andy, we've, I've got so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? I'm going to be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, providing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I hope you'll check out thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So I can't believe it, but reparations is beginning to rear its ugly head again. Any thoughts around that? Well, I uh, published an essay on, on reparations. It's, it's ludicrous. It, it should have absolutely no legs, and historically it has not had any legs. But right now I think there's at least a reasonable chance, I, I would estimate that at 50-50, as some form of reparations being paid. I can't think of anything that would be less unifying than to uh, impose on people who have done nothing and unearned reward to people on people, giving it to people who don't deserve it. Uh, the very um, uh, 
process, the, uh, the logistics of trying to determine the percentage of African-American or uh, genetic uh, disposition, let's say, uh, is, is outrageous. The, the fact that many African-Americans themselves uh, own slaves. How are you going to isolate them from that process? And I would certainly say that the 300,000 Union troops that lost their lives in the Civil War was uh, a major variant of reparations. Mm-hmm. Uh, econ- econ- economists also have uh, estimated the uh, the total end result, cost-benefit result of slavery in America, and almost all, and in England also, I might add, that almost all conclude that there was absolutely no residual benefit from slavery uh, when you build in the cost of, of removing it. In America, if you look at the cost, which included the uh, economic decimation of the entire South for a 100 years, I mean, this process has had absolutely no residual that is being left around to be divided among anyone, much less uh, fourth-generation removed uh, African-Americans who, whose great-great-grandfather, grandmother were in slavery, and that's a horrible thing. Yeah. Uh, but again, it certainly has no, uh, no uh, it, it should not be a mechanism to play current pay current rewards, especially from people who haven't done no one any harm in this entire process. Yeah, yeah. so it just makes me wonder if the, perhaps this, this whole effort is serious because it gives a great opportunity for the left, its members, to virtue signal and let the people know at home that they are standing up for black people. And uh, it also puts the uh, people who on the on the right, in the GOP, a position of uh, voting against uh, the virtue signaling and the uh, opportunity to support black people. I didn't, it just makes me wonder if it's perhaps not a movement without any perhaps at intent to have come to fruition. It's historically, I, I've written on uh, reparations before, and that was my major point, is that they had no intent of passing it, that it was always to come up, at, come up as the champion for African Americans and have the Republicans have to stand up and resist, and therefore they could attack Republicans as being racist. Uh, right now, it seems to have gone beyond that potential. So uh, I'm no longer convinced that it's merely a, a symbolic thing for political manipulation. Uh, I believe that it has a chance, at least, are being implemented in in some form, but I think you're right. Your comment was uh, was right on that. No matter how it plays out, the the Democrats uh, typically, as they as they typically do, want to be in a win win situation where they win no matter what happens. And you described exactly how that would happen. Yeah. Well, again, and this comes down to identity politics and other movements like this are all about dividing us. It's so interesting to me that the uh, President Biden said, I want to unite the country. And yet he's doing everything. And I'm not I'm not being very absolute in this. Everything to divide us. I, I can't think of anything that uh, would be uh, unifying. I mean, his words uh, at moments sound uh, sound appropriate, but words mean nothing. Actions mean everything. And, and there's been absolutely nothing that Joe Biden has done. Uh, let me let me not even call it Joe Biden. That Joe Biden's uh, bosses have have told him to do uh, that would be would be unifying. And it's obviously not one of their intents. I think the Democrats' uh, process of unification and let's call it peace would be similar to um, the. Muslim uh, saying that uh, Islam is a religion of peace, and it only would be a religion of peace if everybody surrendered to it. That is exactly why they call themselves a religion of peace, and it's exactly the same as the uh, the Democrats today. Uh, they call for unification and they seek unification, but it can only be accomplished in one way, and that's by surrendering to the left. And and we can see how they're trying to uh, uh, prevent almost any. Uh, medium from uh, access, from being able to access the American people with information. Uh, just the other day, uh, two House representatives sent the request to all the major carriers to drop the conservative media. Now, that comes very close, Bob, to a violation of the First Amendment. Congress, it says Congress shall pass no law prohibiting the free exercise of speech. Uh, but this is so close when a, a member of Congress uh, on a direct letter with con- congressional letterhead, sends it to some of these major carriers, such as Comcast. Uh, that is approaching a, yeah. a, a legal circumstance that would be a violation of the First Amendment. So we're looking at a, a very serious assault on on the media, the attempt to shut down uh, Fox, the attempt uh, on, oh, oh, on and uh, shut down uh, Newsmax, 
and anything else that might be a legitimate source of, of what we can call conservative information, I think more realistically it's information per se. But yeah. uh, it's, it's a dangerous situation, one that uh, even a former leftist, uh, very strong leftist, Naomi Wolf, has, con- has declared that and the, uh, the restrictions because of COVID-19 uh, the strongest indications of totalitarianism that she's ever seen, Bob. So we're looking at a, a situation that, uh, if it continues along this same path, is uh, is a very serious, serious process for America to go through. No, no question. It's a kind of a McCarthyism redo, is it not? I mean, we literally uh, trying to control the voice of every single American to comply with the uh, agenda of the left. And uh, it's not going to work, quite frankly. I mean, uh, to me, it's almost laughable. But irrespective, uh, <laughs> the, the effort goes on. Well, you know, it, yeah, I've heard this comparison to McCarthyism. McCarthyism was a horrible uh, way for the House, uh, ways of, not the ways of McKinsey, the House and American Committee to uh, respond to uh, the McCarthy challenges. On the other hand, it had a fairly unique focus. It, uh, it was fairly, it was extensive in its own way, but it was it was limited to a very very defined audience. What we have here with what's going on is perhaps a hundred million Americans are being built into this attempt to censor their voices. Right. Uh, the focus is on the the conservative media outlets, but those uh, those challenges to the conservative voice would extend to the individuals like me and you. And uh, if we were to be caught into a, a circumstance where we uh, were were tweeting the wrong thing or a Facebook page that that has something that they regard as inappropriate there's no doubt that even individual citizens like you and I could have ourselves uh, censored by by the left if not worse than censored. Oh, I actually just think back to the uh, Obama administration with how the IRS and other agencies were being used in order to persecute I'm going to use the word persecute those on the right it uh, and that could happen in spades again and in a much more severe way well, that's that's certainly is true. The the lowest learner episode where she retires at full benefits and and so forth just just an outrage. She obviously tried to suppress the uh, the ability of the the tax free conservative organizations at that point to function. Uh, just a horrible uh, circumstance, well identified, well documented, and yet nothing nothing ever happens with that. Uh, so we're looking at a situation that I think is the the most dramatic in American history to to suppress the, the voice of Americans. And uh, if there is no way of reaching the larger body of Americans, for example, even the uh, the media sites I cited, Fox and Owen and um, and uh, Newsmax, uh, they they pretty much reach the choir to the largest extent. Right. So we we need to have some way of accessing the 330 million Americans who make up the body politic. And right now, by there is absolutely no way of doing that. It's so interesting. Andy, uh, I want to talk to you about this whole concept of nullification, which I've read about in a couple of your blogs. Uh, first of all, before we go to break, could you identify or, or uh, uh, define nullification? Nullification is the state's right, right rights uh, to, in fact, uh, declare null and void, nullify, a federal action that they deem through the state legislature to be unconstitutional, and they will not enforce that. Perfect. So, Andy, I want to talk to you about that and things that the states can do in order to nullify the efforts to turn us into a social state. I'd like. Uh, can you stick around? Sure, Bob. All sure. right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. 
Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you check it out by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always good to be with you, Bob. So, Andy, we've talked a little bit about nullification. We know the agenda that's coming down. We know there's a majority uh, in the House as well as in the Senate, a slight majority, in terms of uh, being able to legislate and and carry out the agenda of the Biden administration, uh, which I consider to be extremely detrimental uh, to the country. So uh, tell us about the importance of nullification. Well, you asked me to define it before the break, and uh, so I'll just let that that, uh, sit. Uh, I think there's going to be a greater need for nullification. If we look at some of the appointees in the Biden administration, uh, I think the uh, the type of, of directives that are going to come out, for example, of the uh, uh, Department of uh, Homeland Security under Ashley Tabador, uh, the uh, civil rights decisions from the attorney general's office under Kristen Clark. Uh, uh, Tabador was a well-documented anti-border person. I mean, so how do you have somebody in charge of homeland security that's mm-hmm. against borders? And uh, Kristen Clark, who's been a, a strong advocate of black supremacy with its inherent uh, anti-white theme. So uh, we're looking at that. We're looking at an attorney general coming in, uh, um, uh, Garland, uh, who, when asked during his confirmation process, you know, if if January 6th was an insurrection, how would you define Portland and the, the riots there, especially those directed at the uh, the federal courthouse? And Garland said, and I, this is mystifying to me, well, that was not an insurrection in Portland uh, because it happened in the nighttime. So <laughs> here, here we have the type of appointees that are coming in, Garland in the AG's office, Kristen Clark. Uh, working under him in the Civil Rights Division and Tabador in the Department of Homeland Security. So we're going to have a significant amount of of, uh, le- of action, not legislative, but uh, bureaucratic action taking place in those organizations and the states. Uh, who? What, let me sort of review something that I mentioned on your show before, but I think it's worth doing. Uh, in the original Constitution, nullification was built in. That was because the state legislatures appointed the senators. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you look at the design of our government, you had the president representing the nation. You had the House of Representatives representing the people. And you had the Senate representing the states. Therefore, you had an, an inherent nullification process that existed in the design and the intent of the Constitution. In 1913, when they passed the, uh, the 17th Amendment, and had direct uh, popular vote uh, election of these senators that totally undid that provision, which was a major structural foundation for our whole government and our Constitution. So those that suggest that nullification, the states refusing to enforce uh, actions of the federal government that are unconstitutional, it was built in originally. 
The only reason we have to go uh, to it in a different form today, a state at a time, as compared to a unified state process in the Senate, is, is because of the 17th Amendment, which uh, which was the worst amendment, the worst piece of legislation in this country's history. Yeah, no, no question. And uh, I doubt seriously it will ever be restored. But, you know, I see a form of, of nullification happening right now. I saw the story that the Republican lawmakers in West Virginia have introduced a model bill after, to, after a revoked Trump-era order to purge elements of the critical race theory from the state's workforce and schools. It's known as House Bill 2595, and it seeks to ban race or sex stereotyping or scapegoating in the workforce defined as assigning fault, blame, or bias to race or sex or to members of race or sex because of their race or sex. And I could go on here, but the point is this, that what they're working to do is to put into law in West Virginia uh, the efforts to counteract what is going to be this critical race theory and white fragility and all the nonsense that's being pushed down from the left. To me, it seems like we have the strength of state legislatures and governors right now to protect us from what I consider to be extremely dangerous and... uh, 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 policy coming down from the from the left. Well, that that's the heart and soul of the whole nullification process, Bob. If uh, if on the other hand we look at the Equality Act, which is going to uh, make it uh, possible for any male to play on any female sports team, just as one example of, of what the Equality Act would allow, uh, some of these actions at the states are going to become more difficult to uh, to create nullifications at the state level as they are, are enacted within specific legislations that might come out of the House. Uh, so um, I, I am optimistic, based on what you've said, that the states will take these uh, actions more hand in hand as, as time goes on. Uh, and that, I, as far as I can tell at this point, Bob, that is the only answer uh, to the overreach, the dramatic illegal overreach of our federal government. Bob. And that said, though, uh, we know that the state house in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Arizona, and uh, <laughs> they let us down. They had the opportunity to use the whole process of nullification in the election process and didn't step up. So we're going to need some people with character and backbone in order to make this happen. Nullification is one of these things that gains momentum. In other words, it happened in West Virginia. It can happen. And uh, once it starts to happen more frequently, then the reluctance to utilize the nullification will, will disappear. So, again, I, I think it has a chance of, of gaining traction. And with this government almost in its entirety uh, acting illegally, in my estimation, almost everything they do has a, a very weak, if any, constitutional foundation. Uh, I think they're going to be on much stronger ground consistently on stronger ground as they go forward with the possibility of nullification. So that, that's my source of optimism. Uh, my source as of optimism as well. The other source of optimism is I do think there's some folks in Washington, D.C. who do not want to support, even Democrats who don't want to support the agenda of the left. In other words, the agenda is so far left that even Democrats, even holding their noses, may have difficulty supporting it. I suspect that some of these laws and some of these candidates for positions that need uh, ratification, uh, then it's not going to be able to, it won't happen. Well, let's let's look at what might happen here, Bob. There's a possibility within, before the uh, 2022 elections that, excuse me, 30 million illegals will be given citizenship and the right to vote. I mean, that possibility exists. Uh, the, the timing may not be possible, but I, uh, with the Democrats, they seem uh, capable of pushing through things through in a very rapid order. So if that were to happen, then all bets are off because we're going to have a contamination even in the red states. Uh, we're going to have, uh, I'm sure, Texas going blue and perhaps uh, even Florida going blue if that uh, 30 million uh, new new citizens with their right to vote is, is created, or even if it's anything resembling 30 million. If we go 15 million, which mm-hmm. is the low-end number, uh, certainly that would distort uh, everything that's happening within America at this point. So I think it, uh, it's, it's pretty clear that we have a number of issues right now that are hanging fire that are so important to the uh, United States of America. Right now, the focus of this administration is on immigration and opening borders and uh, creating citizens right now who aren't citizens. And I think you just described why it's because it's going to help nullify the election process going forward. 
Well, I think that's always been their intent. I, I had suggested years ago that what the House should have done when it was in Republican hands was just pass a uh, piece of legislation that said anyone entering this country illegally, no matter what status is awarded them after that process, will never have the right to vote. And I think the Democrats would have abandoned that group of immigrants uh, immediately because mm -hmm. the whole intent wasn't to help some poor suffering person from central america their intent was to gain a uh, out of every hundred votes cast 85 that would be democrats so um this is an insidious process one that uh, it's very hard to figure out how we're going to get in the way of it that's uh, i hope we can but uh, again i keep looking for the mechanisms bob and i i don't see them Andy, it's been a, kind of a dark discussion so, so far, and it's been very well, fun. If you have something you want to talk to me about that would really make me smile, Bob, then please, <laughs> please do it. No, but I think you've painted the uh, the landscape right here pretty clearly, and we have a, it's going to be a slog going forward for the next four years. There are some elements, and as you pointed out, nullification, some other ideas that, that can be used and should be used because, again, that we have so many, so many strong state legislatures, so many Republican governors, so many uh, obstacles to uh, implementing this agenda. We just have to make sure that uh, that it happens, and we have to stay involved. We have to stay concerned about what's happening. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk next week. Good to be back with you, Bob. Thank you so much. And again, the name of the book is Josephus of Oz. Coming up, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and author of several books, his latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, Including Us, came out on the 23rd of February. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide two and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. I think he's committed to the same principles. Uh, he's a pro endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture and author of several books. His latest, as I mentioned, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, Including Us. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks so much for having me on again. Always a pleasure, Professor. I'm just amazed at how quickly some of these new books are coming out. Your last one was uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us. Tell us about the new one, uh, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, Including Us. Yeah, I, I don't know if I should call it a sequel, but the, the previous book was uh, 
about how everything happened, including us, and and uh, it was really a history of the of the universe and and the you know the development of cells and life and Homo sapiens and battles with Neanderthals and you know the evolution of technologies through the Industrial Revolution, now the Information Revolution, and so on. And I wrote it uh, largely as a learning experience. That's really why I write. I think I think it's primarily why I write. And uh, and then uh, this was uh, it wasn't really intended as a sequel, but it pulls together. This, that this is my tenth book that just came out, and it pulls together a, a lot of elements of previous things I've written. Uh, it's not a cut and paste book from everything I've written, but it's it draws upon that, and it really looks more exclusively at the uh, development of, of the human species and uh, how we grew and how we're developing, and and kind of looking at where we're going as a species and where we're going. We're sure getting there fast. No, that's so true. The the uh, velocity of change has just been unbelievable in the last ten years, in the last century. And I really look forward to to reading the book. Uh, I I don't know if you want to cut to the chase at all to tell. You, is there hope? How are we going to do? <laughs> well, we're facing. You know, the, so you look at at the we. I'm talking about the global the global we, not the North American we or any any other particular group. But you know, right now the you know the information technology and AI and so on, where we're Kind of a question if we're outsmarting ourselves with mm-hmm. creating machines that are smarter than we are, and uh, and uh, with machine learning and so on, doesn't dwell on that particularly, but it raises questions about we're going so incredibly fast. It's very difficult to keep up what's happening, you know, socially and technologically, and and. Uh, that we're we're sort of becoming captive to our own creativity, and and it's not a it's not a pessimistic book, uh, but we're I think constantly redefining what we are, what our what our values are, and uh, and that can be a, a kind of a, a concerning thing yeah, in terms of what are our values and what are bird instincts and. What about the individual and all of this? And and I think it relates also to the, the politics of the day mm-hmm. that we're seeing play out very much, of course, in this country. I really look, I've ordered the book. It came out on February the 23rd. I just encourage our listeners to check out what America, oh, I'm sorry, uh, what makes humans truly exceptional, including us. Uh, Professor, I want to also move now to your column uh, on point, which is in Newsmax.com. And you raised the question, will America trade energy independence for rare earth extortion? So fascinating and interesting. What an interesting point of view. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, it's a, a concern I've had for, for at least a decade is uh, energy policy. And energy policy has been driven a lot, I think, politically by, by uh, you know, the, the climate issue and the uh, is the world on fire, and, and are we? Is your SUV causing it, and so on? And, and again, I got interested in this uh, in large part by looking at the history of, of uh, climate and history of weather. And I was talking about history. We've had climate change ever since ever since the Earth has had an atmosphere, you know. And mm-hmm. so, climate change is hardly disputable. And it's, it caused for a whole lot of reasons. But I'll rather than get off on that rabbit trail. I'll just say that. We look at how it's politically playing out today, and most recently we've gone from energy independence. We say that we, a lot of our real adversaries in the world, and we look at China and Russia and, and other countries, Iran and so on, that, that play energy politics very effectively, uh, and we've we've managed to to uh, make ourselves somewhat independent of of their control. We're now pushing because of the, the climate politics, uh, you know, pushing electric cars onto our grid and pushing, you know, all electric systems and fossils are bad and they're killing polar bears and so on. And 
So it's a scary thing, and, we, and of course, a lot of your listeners will know that we we here in Texas went through a pretty uh, a pretty uh, traumatic time uh, just recently with with power outages and uh, the so-called you know the windmills froze up and uh, you know we were out without power and, and many without water and so on. And you look at how we're driving the economy towards you know towards this this off the cliff with this so-called green energy, which is anything but green, mm-hmm. you consider what it costs to build these these windmills and and solar panels. And, but they they also they also require rare earth materials, and and since they're intermittent, you need huge battery storage, and and uh, and and we also need battery storage for. For all these these cars we're putting on the grid now, Musk's new, new new truck that he wants to build takes three times more batteries than a, than an electric vehicle does. Yeah. So on, on top of our rickety grid, where we're and there are three major grids in the U.S. and Texas has its own, we're we're going to load it up with all these additional demands of these electric vehicles, all depending on rare earth materials, which eighty percent come from 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 China. Yeah, and the interesting and, and, and even the one place where we mine them here in the U.S., we process them in China. So, so we're making ourselves really energy dependent now upon China, which, which in, in the Paris Climate Accord, you know, the so-called climate agreement, China and India get a pass from having to respond. You know, John Kerry says the Earth's going to end in nine years. Well, the Chinese have, have, have more than that time to continue to building coal plants, and and uh, so it's it's really a circular argument, and it's a circular suicide. I, I see it. Well, in fact, uh, what I really appreciated about the the column that I didn't know is we have really. Uh sabotaged our own ability ability to mine what we can have. We have all these rare earth uh, materials, just like China has them, except. We have uh, the EPA and other types of laws are in, that are in position right now to prevent us from actually taking advantage of that. Well, we do, and, and basically, uh, again, we look at the so-called environmentalists who are saying, "Well, you can't, you can't mine, you can't process this stuff." So, so we'll buy it from China, and if they if they pollute the world, it doesn't really matter. It's not like your evil SUV is doing it. Mm-hmm. And so there's this this kind of double think that somehow we're going to go to you know, we're going to go to Paris and save the world and 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 have the United Nations uh, kind of tell us what to do. And just like World Health Organization, how's that working out? So 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 it's uh, it, it's really a, a very terrifying thing to. To, to see what's happening with public education and ignorance about simple things like like how how wind power works, but then things have about a fifteen year life, and then you got to replace the whole things, and you got all this incredible amount of material that's going to wind up in landfills. Yeah, and uh, and and environmentalists say, well, we're we're green. Well, you know, they're they're certainly green in terms of uh, their understanding of, of basic uh, physics and economics. You know what's so frustrating about this, Professor, is that they want to base everything on the science and would say that comments like the ones that you just made, that you're a science denier, of course you're one of the greatest scientists in the United States as far as I'm concerned, maybe in the world. The point being is this, is they, that they, it's voodoo science. They're not basing anything on science. They, they're making all this stuff up. Well, if you, even if you look at this this. this this nutty thing where they say 97% of scientists agree that, you know, the world's on fire. Well, no, they don't. And and no serious scientist would defend that pseudo-poll they did. There was, I won't get into the history of that, but it's absolutely ludicrous. And so so, so the people that talk about the science are the ones that really don't care about science. And we and we, we see what's happening with COVID. And, and certainly the science community is trying to, Figure out these things, like, particularly with regard to COVID and so on. And it was it was a whole new a whole new virus they had to decode and so on. And nobody really knew what to do. But and and uh, so I'm not decrying the, you know the competence of scientists. It's simply that we have to. It takes a while to figure things out, and it takes a lot of it takes a lot of uh, detailed analyses. And I'm not seeing it happen from the people that the people that preach that the father of science. 
Mm-hmm. Team uh, clearly are not the scientists. Absolutely. Again, the name of the book is "What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional," including us. I'd encourage you. I got. I ordered my copy. I encourage you to do the same. Also, check out uh, Larry Bell's column on Newsmax.com. Uh, his latest, Will America Trade Energy Independence for a Rare Earth Extortion? So interesting. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob and I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be visiting with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon, he is Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, will bring us up to date on what's happening locally. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me a beat email at bobhardinathotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>